from Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was, a, he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's good to be back. Um, it's been two months. I feel like it's been so much longer, though. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's, that's just the first two months of having a kid. But, um, man, uh, we've taken a short break from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you know, we've had guest preachers come in every single week. And uh, Harry picked it back up last Sunday. And, uh, you know, once again, as Harry said, if, whether this is your first time here or you're looking for a church, man, I'm so glad you're here. And uh, today, as Harry read, we meet a man named Zacchaeus. And the story of Zacchaeus is actually only found in the Gospel of Luke. Because there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And to have just, you know, one single biography of an ancient historical figure is, is really considered a treasure by historians. But to have four, four Gospels, it's unprecedented. And so, in other words, we, we know more about Jesus than we really do about anyone else in antiquity. Massive statement. And each Gospel is the same in the sense that they're about Jesus' life, they're about his words, but they're also very different, right? Each gospel paints a unique portrait of Jesus. When we take all together, it gives us everything we need to know to make important life decisions about who Jesus is, what that means for us. And in Luke's gospel, and I, I just kind of want to rehash this, you know, getting back into Luke and the theme of Luke. Every single Bible scholar agrees that the theme of Luke's gospel is the fact that Jesus is not just for the Christian community. That's the theme of Luke's gospel. Jesus is also for those outside the Christian community. You see, the story of the prodigal son, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The story of Zacchaeus, these three stories of outsiders are only found in the gospel of Luke. Luke has made it very, very clear, being himself not a Jew, being a Gentile, being the only Gentile to write a gospel book, he is making it very clear that, that Jesus is not only for the Christian community, but he's also for those outside the Christian community. 
And you know, as I was sort of preparing this sermon and getting back into the swing of things, it reminded me that one, friends, if you're a Christian, you have to remember that you were an outsider before Jesus brought you in. Second, if you are a Christian, even now, you and I can still behave like outsiders. You see? Yeah. I think as Christians, sometimes we can forget, right, about this powerful and continual um, transformative work and reality that Jesus wants to do in our hearts, constantly trying to bring us inside to his fellowship. And so when we study Luke's gospel and we see these outsiders, outsiders turning to God, it causes us to reevaluate our lives, does it not? And to say, that could still happen to me if God is doing that, still doing that now to others. Uh, Jacques Ellou, he says in his book, The Presence of the Kingdom, and, and it's basically this book, The Presence of the Kingdom, what, what it really is is just the, it's a, it's a state of the church. He writes a book basically on the state of the church in America. And he says, the rediscovery of a genuinely Christian way of life, a life that lives out Christ's selflessness, his heart for the lost, his compassion for the less fortunate, and the glory of eternity above anything here on earth is the key to true spiritual living. You see, friends, it's not, you know, a, a socioeconomic, you know, um, category of people that is the key to a specific church. It's not unique gifts and talent and just pedigree. It's about finding the way back to living a genuinely Christ-like, selfless, spiritual life. That being said, let me give the outline for today's sermon. Three points. First, we're going to talk about the context, just paint it up a little bit, what's happening here. You know, you, you, know, you can't just jump into Lord of the Rings number six, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to understand, like, as we're in Luke chapter 19, you kind of got to know what happened in one, two, three, four, five, you know? Like, so I'm going to paint a little bit about the context for some of those uh, who are here for the first time, for uh, some of us who maybe it's been a while since we, like, oh, what is, what is, what is the gospel of Luke? Where are we at? Number two, we're going to talk about Zacchaeus. Very important figure. I actually wanted to name my son Zacchaeus. And Jenna was like, I don't understand. Is it, Z is it like, how do you spell his name? Is the A before the E or the E before the A? So that got scratched out. Right? I was like, I try to put it in the middle, middle name. She's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. All right? Luke is a, I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> um, third, we're going to take a look at the gospel. The last point is going to be the gospel. All right? So first, the context. Verse 2, it says that there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. That's what it says. And um, some of you may know, uh, I don't want to assume anything because, you know, tax collectors, not only in the Bible, but in that uh, culture in ancient Rome, they were not well regarded in that society. Why is that? Well, you know, today, yeah, right, we pay taxes and we see new roads and school renovation and efforts to help the vulnerable. But there is debate about taxes, about the efficiency of it, the effectiveness of it. So there's a little stigma to it. I was, uh, I, you know, as I was researching some of this, um, uh, and there's like these blogs, and anyone who works for the IRS, they never tell people they work for the IRS. They just say, I work in the government. You know, so there's a little bit of stigma there. 
But in those days, we're talking about something completely different. Tax collectors in that society, they were employees of the Roman government over the colonies that Rome had taken over by violent warfare. You see? And so Rome subjugated these colonies and they levied heavy taxes on them. Uh, They essentially ripped away the community's funds so that they cannot pour back into their community but towards Rome's imperial endeavors. They were excessive. It was extortion. And so it wasn't a debate. Tax collectors were universally hated in that culture. They were clear outsiders. You know, maybe sometimes, um, you know, like, uh, you see someone that you're connected to Instagram, and maybe they had this, like, raging post, uh, and you're like, oh, I can't like that one, right? Like, oh, no, I man, dude, I don't know, I hope, you, I hope that person's fine, right? And people are like, hey, isn't that your friend? You're like, no, no, I don't really know him. They're like, no, that's, that, that, that was your best man, bro, <laughs> right? Like, like, this is, like, this, what Jesus is doing is something, if I were to do it, like, to reach out to, like, a, a universally hated person, like a tax collector, like, I would be canceled. You know what I'm saying? That's what Jesus is doing. It's, it's, it's outrageous, So here is the principle. Every single one of us here, we have these mental boundaries, right? If you do this, you're on the blacklist. If you do this to me, I'm not talking to you, right? If you're like this person, right? If you're if you're if you're if you're charming, if if I find you beneficial, you know, if if I think that you're morally upright to some extent, you know, you're an insider, right? I'm going to send you my Instagram story privately. (laughs) You're in that group. Not everyone gets to see it. The outsiders are people that we believe aren't good. Uh, we believe they're inferior for whatever reason, for whatever reason. You know, maybe they went to UC Irvine like me. <laughs> zot, zot. Um, but Jesus is, friends, Jesus is relentless to go after outsiders. That's the principle. He goes after prodigal sons, prostitutes, and ethnic enemies, ethnic enemies like Good Samaritans. Samaria was an ethnic enemy. They created, there was a civil war, and Samaria was northern Israel, right? And, and southern Israel became Israel. But Jesus goes after even them. Over and over, over and over. Every single sermon in Luke, it's just an outsider after another outsider, another outsider. Why does, why does Jesus keep doing this? I want to read, us, read to us a passage in Luke chapter 10. It's, it's even more outrageous, okay? In Luke chapter 10, this is what Jesus says. He's just kind of just rebuking and railing on certain folk. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, that, that is a wild statement because we know Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That, that, that's, that's, like a, uh, you know, that's like a figurative statement, a, a euphemism to describe just wretched cities, right? But Jesus is saying, look, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Come on, what are you talking about? Crazy. You had a bad day. Get some sleep. You see, Bethsaida and Chorazin were... were Towns that had lots of nice people. And they all, whenever Jesus came, they all loved it. They all welcomed him. They came in droves. They were the insiders. 
Sodom and Gomorrah? Outsiders. But Jesus is saying, woe to you insiders. It will be worse for you on judgment day than for the red light districts of the world. That's what Jesus is saying. Unthinkable. It's career suicide for Jesus. Why would Jesus go to such great lengths to say this? I mean, like, I'm, I'm a huge people pleaser. I hate, I hate conflict. Like I, I, like, I just can't do that, right? That's like the constant feedback from my board. Like, Rich, you got to got to have these conversations, Rich. <laughs> you know, that's what a leader does. Like, I, I don't know. Like, this, this, this statement from Jesus is mind-blowing. The reason why Jesus does this, even though it was career suicide, was because at the end of, end of the day, right, God does not play by our standards of insiders and outsiders. What do I mean by that? Well, let me explain. Several weeks ago, uh, Brad Carpenter, he's from our oversight committee from Grace Sacramento, he came and he preached on King David. And, and, and in his sermon, right, as Samuel the prophet is looking for King David, he doesn't know who he is. God said, go to Bethlehem. You're going to find the future king. His name is David. So, you know, Samuel just shows up and says, hey, I'm looking for uh, Jesse. He's, he's got a son named David. God has anointed him. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 16. Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is on him. Right? Because Eliab is tall. He's good looking. He's charismatic. He's like shaking hands with everyone. You know, everyone loves him. Eliab, Eliab, right? So Samuel's like, that's the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his outward appearance or on the height of his stature. Because back then you needed warriors, right? The king, warriors usually became the king, right? It was a very war, warfare society. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Right? What does that mean? Beautiful, beautiful principle. Well, here's the thing. You and me, we see with our eyes. Close your eyes, you can't see. You can't make any decisions. You can't make any judgments. So we have to judge based on what we see. I, I can't read your mind. You can say you're fine, and I, and I think you're fine, but I, I don't know. You can share with me that you're struggling, but I don't know what keeps you awake at night, right? We can only see with our eyes. But this also means that we can be duped, right? There's a saying, first impressions are important, but we also know first impressions are misleading, we can deceive one another. We can present ourselves as better than we really are, right? We get a haircut, put on some new threads, you know, like uh, I showed up today, you know, and, um, you know, <laughs> uh, Thursday my hair was like long, like gray hair all over the place. Jen's like, so are you going to get a haircut? I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to get a haircut. She's like, you're going to preach like that? I'm like, yeah, people understand. Like, I just had a kid. It's like, I don't, I don't think so, <laughs> Come on, come on, right? Like, like I, can, I can, I look fine, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, someone asks us how you're doing, most likely I will say I'm fine, right? I, I just try to stuff and pack down all the anxieties, right? All the fears down. I'm doing good, right? And so people, what, why do I do that? So people think, oh, that pastor, he's got it put together. Not like that other pastor. He's an insider. I get tempted to do this all the time. 
right? If I, if I preach a good sermon, let's say, you know, and I think to myself, or Jen said, oh, that one was good, right? You know, and what am I going to think? I'm going to think, oh, I've gotten people's approval. I've gotten their admiration. I've gotten their respect. I'm an insider. If I don't preach the best sermon, right, Jen says, oh, man, I don't, I don't know what you were going at. You know, like, what, what, what were your three points? I'm like, oh, I'm on the outside again. <laughs> right? like, like, I got to get back on the inside next week. It's terrible. I'm the same person week to week. But I'm judging my value of myself and I'm thinking that others judge my own value based on superficial appearances without any reference to my character, to my heart. I'm more worried about people who don't know me than the people who don't, do know me. Isn't that crazy? It's superficial. It's shallow. It's absolutely wrong. And that's why Jesus hates it, right? That's why Jesus He's like, oh, Richard, do you think you're, you're great? Well, guess what? I can see your heart. Jesus sees us through to the very uh, core, sum, and center of our being. I mean, we think we go, oh, yeah, Jesus knows my private lives. He knows my thoughts. He knows. No, he knows even more, like, so much you don't even know. So when he sees us, friends, he's, he's looking at our hearts. He's asking us, do you, do you really love your neighbor? Do you love the person on the left and the right of you? Right? Is there genuine love for me? God says to me all the time, Rich, you say it's for me, but is it really for me? I can see it's not. Do you know why? Because I can see your heart. And so I, I have to live. I try my best. I try my best. And it's so hard, but I try my best. I have, to, I have to live. I have to pastor. I have to preach. I have to speak from the inside out, right? Not outside in. Inside out. Not, not, not just with outward performances, but from the inside out. So friends, the reason why Jesus rails on this all the time is because he doesn't want to have a superficial relationship with us. You know? He wants, and, he, and to do that, he knows he needs to get to the heart. So friend, how is your heart today? You know? Maybe, maybe you know, like me, you know, you got a haircut, and you know, you had your clothes ironed and stuff like that, but there are some fears. There's some anxiety. There's some anger. Uh, lost sleep. Waking up. Is your heart pursuing, but also influenced by, by the fear of what others will think? Or, or certain circumstances, maybe it's work. Or like Zacchaeus, Can you seek Jesus with your heart? Can you seek Jesus? Even though maybe you have a lot of stuff, like Zacchaeus, he was wealthy, but he's still seeking Jesus for peace, for security, for hope, for protection. So that's, that's the first point. Let's talk about the second point. Let's talk about Zacchaeus. Verse 2 says that Zacchaeus was rich uh, because he was the chief tax collector. He was the CEO of this um, oppressive, shady company, <laughs> right? right? He's, he's the one giving the rubber stamp to all of it. Hey, maximize profits, right? <laughs> Sign it off. Do it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter about the customer. So he's rich. But here is the irony of Zacchaeus' life. His, his name, do you know what his name means in the Greek? It means the pure one. 
the righteous one. Imagine having, live, having to live up to that name, right? You're like, in junior, you're like in high school and, you know, like people are like, ah, the pure one, late again, right? It's like, oh, man, right? Oh, the pure one, we're, wait, let's go out, man. It's like, I can't, I have a curfew, I, I can't, I can't break this reputation of being the pure one. The irony, Zacchaeus was rich on the outside. But what was he like on the inside? Poor, lost, alone, anxious. How do we know this? Am I speaking for Zacchaeus? You know, sometimes, sometimes that happens, like when Jen and I speak for each other, you know, like, oh, you know, Rishi's he's struggling. He's like, no, I'm, I'm fine, Jen. <laughs> we know this because Zacchaeus is running after Jesus. It says it right here in verse 4. Right? He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on, the crowd of the, uh, on account of the crowd, he couldn't get to him. He was small. So what does he do? He runs. He runs ahead. I'm going I'm to beat him to the next spot. And, and Zacchaeus has a robe on because that's what they had back then. It's probably a very expensive robe because he was wealthy. Um, it's like a, a man in a very, very expensive business suit. He's running in this. But he doesn't just run. What does he do? He climbs a tree. He climbs a tree. It's ridiculous. You see, Jesus is materially poor. He's got no money. Not a single cent to his name. Everything Jesus lives off of is people's generosity. But Jesus' heart is rich. Zacchaeus is materially rich. He can buy whatever he wants, but his heart is poor. Jesus isn't Seeking Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is pursuing Jesus. You see, that's the, the, the worthiness of Jesus because, you know, he's like the sun. And wherever the sun goes, the plants just follow. You see? If you have a garden, a garden, it always, it always faces, um, I, believe, I believe it's the south side of my home. All the plants just leaning that way, Right? And I always try to put it back. And then right, the trellis falls down. That's Jesus, right? The by plants, they don't listen to me. I don't care who you are. What are you talking about? No, I'm, I'm following the sun. I need to follow the sun, right? It's not putting me towards death. <laughs> uh, it's like, why don't you stay where you want well, to stay? Stay straight. I like it when you look straight and beautiful. This case is short. He has to humble himself, right? He has to humble himself. I have to humble myself. I have, to, I have to make sure that my plants get what they need. And I have to humble myself and buy them the trellises and everything else. I need to make sure that they are following the sun. Zacchaeus is humbling himself. He's putting his pride aside. He's saying, I'm rich. I'm powerful. I can buy anything I want. No one tells me what to do. If they do, I fire them. I get him thrown in prison. I got Roman guards paid off. But at this point, he's come to find that none of that means anything. He's still discontent. He's still running. He's still seeking for something. He doesn't have peace. He thought he was the son. But no, Jesus is the son. And that's huge. I think this point is huge. If any of us want a chance of ever encountering the real and living God-man, Jesus, you cannot do it unless 
you humble yourself. You know that? I preach a sermon, well, not the past two months I've been preaching, but typically when I preach every sermon, you know, I come in, I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I'm like, I got my coffee, you know, I send out my emails, I got the silence note, don't bother me. I've, I have a sign outside my door that says, do not disturb. <laughs> and I sit there, and I'm like, ready to write, and God's like, mm-mm, not going to give you anything. You got to come to me. You got to confess. You got to be real. You got to fight with Jen. Go apologize. Right? Don't come to me with outward appearances. I look on the heart. Every time, every week I do that, I get nothing. If I want to meet Jesus, if I really want to meet him, I got to humble myself. I got to humble myself. I got to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. You know, I got angry at Jen again. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm a terrible pastor. I'm all about outward appearances. I don't deserve to do this. This is all you. You know, I gotta, that, that's what humbling is, right? Like when you get in a conflict with someone, you don't want someone to like, you know, just kind of like BS you. You want someone to be like, I'm sorry. These are all the things that I did to hurt you. You don't want excuses, justifications or reasons or causes. That's what God wants. If we don't have the humility, friends, to swallow our pride in front of Jesus, and if we don't have the humility like Zacchaeus, running in an expensive business suit, climbing up a tree, everyone sees him. It's ridiculous. If we can't say, God, I, I don't have it figured out. I can't carry all the weight. I need you to help my life. I need you to help my marriage. I need you to help you with my family. I need you to help you with my anxiety, my insecurities, my baggage, my demons, my weaknesses. If we don't come with this kind of desperation, this kind of humility, we're never going to see him. We will think we're seeing him. And that will become so normative. We think that's Christian life when there's so much more. Friends, you and I, we were so busy trying to control outward circumstances, right? With more planning, more thinking, more work, more force, more effort. This is me too. But do you know what Jesus is waiting for you to do? He's waiting for you to surrender. Just wave the flag. <laughs> He's waiting for us to get to our wits end. He's waiting for us to run to him because that's when we're going to see him. That's, that's what it's about. That's, what, that's, all, that's all Jesus cares about. That's all he's doing in the Gospels. That's all he's ever trying to accomplish in our hearts. He's trying to replace the absolute foundation of our hearts. This brings us to the last point, the Gospel. In verse 5, Jesus does two things, okay? So first, he calls Zacchaeus by name. You know, and people go, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, that's, you know. No, you know, like, like calling someone by name is amazing, okay? You know, you, you, like, you know sometimes we're like, hey, what's that guy's name? <laughs> like when we forget, you know, what, what, you know, he doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you, you know, the short guy in the front, you know, uh, come on over. No, he says Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. What's in a name? Well, think about this. Someone knocks on your door. It's a stranger trying to sell you solar panels. <laughs> Happens to me all the time, man. They get me all the time. I'm like, this is my time to evangelize. And it's like, oh, would you like to buy solar panels? I'm like, no, but please don't stick your sign in my front yard, please. Um, right? What are you going to do with that person? Probably close the door. 
Let's say your brother, your sister comes knocking. Middle of the night, what are you going to do? You're going to feed them, right? You're going to let them sleep over. Why? Because they know your name. They've known your name for a long time. So Jesus, what is he saying? What does he say to you and me? He says, Rich, I love you, man. (laughs) He says, Rich, I know your fears. I know your anxieties. Rich, I know your flaws and weaknesses. Rich, but I also know your gifts and strengths. Rich, I made you for who you are, Rich. Rich, I'm not ashamed of you. He's constantly saying your name over and over again. Friends, I I want you to uh, do a practical exercise this week. Whenever someone says your name, I just want you to pause for a second, and I want you to cherish that. Something deeply personal is happening. It's profound, it's special, and it's powerful. When someone knows your name, and they talk to you, and they address you by name, it's personal. Second thing Jesus does, he doesn't just say Zacchaeus, calling him by name. He says, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. Once again, this is another statement that you and I, we may not fully understand. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? Where else are they going to go, you know? Um, but it's a huge deal. Look, I think for us, culturally, we're an individualistic culture, right? The individual is supreme. Hey, that's what you believe, but I think differently, you know? Friendship, relationship, commitment. We throw those words all the time, like, hey, man, let's meet up, right? Uh, but we don't really mean it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> let's meet up. Hey, next time I'm, I'm in a, you know, hey, where I'll call you up, you know? And then you see it on Instagram, this fool was right next to my house. He didn't, he didn't hit me up, right? That's our culture. But it's also why we struggle with loneliness and anxiety, depression, right? And lasting friends, you know? It's so hard, isn't it, after college to have lasting friends? It's because we live in an individualistic culture. In college, you're just forced to be a societal culture. But after, truly in America, we do live in an individualistic culture. But back then, in Jesus' day, it wasn't like that, right? Community was essential to wellness, right, to stability, to survival, okay? You know, relationships was bond, it meant everything. So when, and, and, and you guys know, when, whenever people shared a meal together, that was, that was it. That was it. You know, you did it in public places too, right? It was very, very communal. You know, we, I mean, we see that, right? Like on, on Instagram, right? Like when a, when a basketball player wants to be traded, he's, he's taking a photo with a t- player from a different team, right? Like that's how it was back then. So what Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, he's, when he says, I'm going to stay at your house, he's saying, Zacchaeus, we're going to be boys now. <laughs> that's what he's saying, right? Ride and die. We're going to be boys. It's not like, hey, let me come to your house. See, guys, this is what I'm doing. You got to reach out to people like Zacchaeus. No, he's not doing that. He's like, I'm in it with you, Zacchaeus. The backlash, the conflict, boys. That's what's going on here. But here, here is the amazing thing, okay? There's, it just gets, it gets more amazing and more amazing as you read this story, right? Because who can say, Jesus, I deserve for you to be my man? I deserve for you to go to bat for me. I deserve for you to be my best friend. Be there at my beck and call. Whenever I call and you to have my back no matter what. I deserve that. No, Zacchaeus knows he can't do that. That's why he's on a tree. He's a tree from a distance looking in. 
This is the most, Jesus is the most powerful, the most righteous person who ever walked the earth. Who can say, hey, I mean, think about it. You go, I don't know, I know like we're kind of in a recession, it kind of sucks, but, but you know, you go to like a CEO of a company like, you just, I deserve for you to come to my house and hire me. That's, that's a, who can do that with Jesus? Here's the crazy thing. Jesus does not say to Zacchaeus, right? He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, if you clean up your life first, if you, you fix your image, that PR, man, that mess, I don't want to deal with that. If you fix that, then I'm coming over. Jesus doesn't do that. You don't have verse 8 before verse 5, right? I have that here behind me. You don't have verse 8 where first, you know, where Zacchaeus says, Lord, I'm going to change my ways. You don't have Zacchaeus, right, proving to Jesus for his love. And then Jesus saying, okay, Zacchaeus, I will, I will come into your home. No, it's the opposite. First, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to be your friend despite the fact, right, that you're doing everything that I am I'm morally and ethically against. Despite the fact that you are and have been an any of, enemy of mine, I'm going to come to your house. And then in response to that, in verse 8, Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And friends, that's the gospel. The gospel does not say you got to clean yourself up before you come to church. It doesn't say you've got to solve all your conflict in your family and in your life right before you come to Jesus. It doesn't say that you got to clean yourself up for Jesus, for me, for here, for, for this church to love you. No, it says Jesus knows your heart. And guess what? doesn't matter to him. <laughs> I, I have reservations about just saying that, even though I know it's true. Because I'm so fixed on my own moral value. Jesus is coming to you regardless to you as an outsider. You don't have to earn God's love or his favor. You can never do it enough. We can never sustain it. Well, maybe we can pull an hour off of like righteous living before polluting it, and I'm being facetious even with that. No, Jesus in his death on the cross for you, he gives you his favor. He gives you his love. He gives you his approval. He gives his own worth. Jesus is so worthy. And he says, hey man, the worth that I have that I feel, you can have it. He gives you his church family as a bigger family. He gives you his friendship as the best friendship. What is the, what is the best friendship? It's unconditional friendship, right? What is unconditional friendship? It's unconditional forgiveness, isn't it? No matter what you do, what you say, how you slip up, Jesus isn't going to cut you off. You know? Church, Jesus gives you this peace over the world and sin and death. He, he gives you this peace and you can have it in your life. He gives you everything you're looking for. Everything that we're striving for, but we, we just can't get it. Look at Zacchaeus. He's still seeking. But Jesus, I messed up again. How can you want to be around me? 
Jesus says, it doesn't matter. I've died for that. I'm coming over. We're going to hang out. And friends, when you let this sink into your heart, you're going to do what Zacchaeus did. You're going to follow Jesus. You're going to worship Jesus without restraints, not just with outward appearance, but with the sincerity and humility of heart because that is what Jesus can accomplish if you let him. Don't fall into this trap. The trap is, I need to be more like Zacchaeus. Oh, I've got to give more. That's the trap. That's not the gospel. That's not the point of this passage. That's, again, working from what? The outside in, fixing what you got to do. Jesus saying, I don't got to go to the heart. The only way to get close to Jesus through this text is to open up your heart wide. Just crack it open. And you're going to see Jesus, the ultimate Zacchaeus, the ultimate pure and righteous one. And you'll see that he gave you far more than Zacchaeus even gave him, which is a lot compared to human standards. So friends, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. He's calling you by name. He wants to go to your house, but do you know how he can get there? Only through your heart. He wants to be a true friend to you. He wants to heal you. He wants to renew you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, who are we to be in the presence of the great King, the King of Kings, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah? Lord, the world is chaotic, but you reign supreme. But you do not reign through outward appearances. You reign through the love that lives in and through the hearts of your people. And we are so thankful that you love us. We are so thankful that you forgive us. We are so thankful that you are with us, that you will never leave us. We are so thankful that you have called us your enemies, your friends, your brother and sister. pray for every single person who is here today. It's not an accident for those who can't make it, who's watching. That you'd soften their hearts because we can't do this on our own. And that humility and desperation would be the path for your glory and your powerful reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.